Thanks for checking out this Church in the City podcast. For more information, please visit www.churchinthecity.us. Thanks, you. I think. No respect. No, I'm kidding. Um, man, just an awesome time of worshiping the Lord. I was kind of going to look over at Hugh and be like, I don't have to preach if we just want to keep going. But since we're here... Again, great to have you. Great to see everybody here at Church in the City today. Um, today we are going to be concluding, wrapping up uh, what we've done ever since the start of the year, this series called Spoken Over Us, Prophetic Words from Isaiah. It's great how that works. Um, I don't know about you, but I've been loving this first five weeks of the year because I think it's just, you know, we, we, we finished our series in Acts last year um, and just getting that sense of the impending move and start of the church and the kingdom of Jesus going forth, and we're still a part of that today. And I just think it was, it just really has struck a chord with me uh, to start off 2014 by saying, and yeah, what is, what's been spoken over us at Church in the City? What, what has the Lord said to us specifically? I just think it's been timely. I don't know how you felt about it. If you feel like it's been great, you can let me know. If you feel like it hasn't been great, maybe just keep that to yourself. And... Um, but I've really loved it. Um, and so today we're going to, again, conclude uh, with one last prophetic word that has been oft spoken uh, over church in the city. Um, and we'll look at that in just a second. But just to recap for a moment, remember, uh, if, you, if you're just joining us, like we're back from a commercial break. I don't know where that came from. Uh, but a prophetic word, if, you, if you're just joining us in this series, remember, is something that we see in Scripture It's a word or a message of knowledge received from God, and it's shared or released to an individual or a group that brings revelation and insight and encouragement of God upon that individual or group. And and, and so that's that's what we're operating in here today. And the hearer or the receiver of of a prophetic word has a couple of responsibilities. Remember, we, we weigh the word according to Scripture. Uh, obviously, in the full written revelation of God, God is not going to reveal anything today or speak to us in a way today that contradicts this word. So anything that we hear and someone has a word from God and shares to us, we weigh against Scripture. I know that seems simple, but you'd be surprised. Uh, so we do that, and we also take it before the Lord in prayer. And we say, Lord, what, what are you saying to me in this? I, I get a sense of what's going on, but but... Me as an individual, us as a church, Lord, what are you saying to us? I think it's so valuable. I said this um, back in the first week of the year when I opened the series. I think it's so valuable to do this as a family because it lends us something of what God is saying to us specifically now in the season that we're in. This, we are a church in this city, in our time, in this family. When you think of all the times, all the places across history and across the earth and every. All the times that we could have lived, we live here, we live now, we live here together, the Lord is speaking to us. And there's intentionality behind that. And so how valuable is it for us as a family to engage this idea of what is the Lord saying to us prophetically? Um, just to recap the four previous words that we've, that we've dived into, um, as I mentioned back the first week, Uh, I started us off from Isaiah 40 on what it means to be a watchman for our city, a watchman for the city of Chicago, saying, Chicago, behold your God, standing in the gap, 
for our city, before the Lord. Uh, Steve then took us into Isaiah 58 and 61 and gave us that great picture of the heavenly city. And the, uh, we're called to be repairer of broken walls. And then Vanessa in Isaiah 53 showed us Jesus, the sacrificial lamb and savior. And the, just the, the weight of the sacrifice of Jesus, a word to us to remember and hold on to that. And then last week, out of Isaiah 54, Steve, of course, spoke on the Lord, our Redeemer, tying very much into what Vanessa preached the week before as well. And this week, I would like to invite you to turn to Isaiah 60 in your iPhone or Bible, whichever one you have. Android, we're equal opportunity, you know, across the board. Uh, but Isaiah 60, and we're going to take a look at, uh, at a word that's been spoken over church in the city often. That is that church in the city is a planting of the Lord. The church in the city is a planting of the Lord. And we're going we're gonna to ask and kind of take a look at what that means uh, at the start. So if you found Isaiah 60, then let's turn to verse 21. We're going to kind of be all over Isaiah 60, but let's start there. And this is the Lord speaking. It says, Then will all your people be righteous... And they will possess the land forever. They are the shoot that I have planted for the work of my hands, for the display of my splendor. Just that second half again. They are the shoot that I have planted, the work of my hands, for the display of my splendor. I don't think this is a very complicated word that we're going to engage today. I think it's pretty simple, but I think it's essential for us to grab a hold on as a, as a family. We are a church planted of God, purposed of God, by God, for God's glory, here in Chicago, here in this nation, on this planet, in this world. It's the opposite of we are not of us, by us, and for us. We are of God, by God, and for God. Yeah? And there's intentionality behind that. We're, we're marked and purposed, not accidental. Now, don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying we're overly more special than anybody else, or I'm not saying, hey, we should puff ourselves up because we've got an awesome thing going. Um, the heart is to remind us of who has actually purposed and planted us. Who has put us here? Who has intention for us? It's not to say, rah, rah, we're great. I think you are. But to say, Jesus is great, and we are a planting of the Lord. So therefore, what does that mean, and, and what, what necessarily do we need to believe because of that? So as I said, this word, I believe, has drastic ramifications for us, for our identity, for our decisions, our relationship, our stewardship, corporately as a body. Uh, this word has ramifications. The remembering of being a planting of the Lord should affect all aspects of us existing as church in the city. So I think I want to take a look at some very simple realities, four very simple realities, and I think they culminate in a very essential application. Um, it's, like I said, apologies up front. Uh, this is not going to be too deep. I have to keep it kind of pedestrian. I just invite you to remember who's preaching, so just give me some slack. <laughs> I have to remember who's listening. I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> kidding. <laughs> I just lost 50 hundred friends. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> but I think there's four, there's four realities that we see in accordance with this word in Isaiah 60, and I think there's essential application. So let's keep it straightforward and start. I think the first reality that we see is the reality of the planter. 
If we're a planting of the Lord, then it's based on someone's intentionality, right? I think this, there's a familiar truth, because I, th- I think we operate in this truth a lot and we reference it a lot, and that is out of Colossians 1.18, and that is that Jesus is the head of his church. I think we're all pretty comfortable with that truth. We reference it a lot here and in Wednesday night prayer meetings. I think we operate in that as a body uh, very naturally. But if we look at Isaiah 60, 21, the second half again, they are the shoot that I have planted, the work of my hands. This is spoken of Israel as a picture of you and me today as the church. And I think we need to get comfortable not only with Jesus as the idea of head of the church at the top, so to speak, but also as planter of the church. I'll get out from behind this so you can see what I was doing. I was planting something because that's what you look like when you plant something. But Jesus as planter of the church as well, not just head. And I think there's a real revelation of freedom in this, in the notion of Jesus starts and Jesus leads. Now, if we want glory ourselves, then that's worrisome because Jesus starts and Jesus leads. I think there's actually freedom in that to say Jesus starts and Jesus leads. There's actually freedom there. Happiness? Yeah? You know those commercials, um, those Ford commercials where they talk about and versus or? Have you guys seen those where it's like, oh, this it's like some young, hip, 20-something couple. Oh, this car has great gas mileage and it's top of its class in whatever. And then the other person says, Oh, that's kind of better than being or, like one or the other. And they'd be like, yeah, that'd be like being loud or clear. And they take a common example, and it shows an example of somebody being loud but not clear. Or, and, you know, sorry, I'm doing a bad job of explaining it. But the point is, and is better than or. And I think it's great and revealing that Jesus is planter and head, and how much it would be terrible if he was planter or head. Because then a lot of responsibility would fall to you and me. If Jesus just planted the church, said, all right, guys, I got it going, and now you're the head of it, and you got to keep it going and lead it. Or if Jesus said, hey, once you guys plant it and get it going and get it started, I'll come in and take the leadership and be the head. It's not or, it's and. And it's as true that Jesus, that we, that Jesus is the planter of his church as he is the head of the church. I think we need to get as comfortable with those two, two truths together. And he operates, it's how he operates in us individually as well. When it says in Hebrews 12, he is the author and the perfecter of our faith. Jesus is all about the work is his, the victory is his, the glory is his, and there's release for you and me in that. There's freedom from responsibility of doing and doing and doing and carrying the burden. That's good news. So I think we can settle in our hearts the reality of the planter. There's also a great reality in Isaiah 60, the reality of our inheritance. Now, this is, this is cool. It's always kind of fun to talk about inheritance. So if the planter plants, he plants for a purpose. You don't plant without a purpose. You don't cause something to grow without a purpose. Then I think that purpose can be found in an inheritance. The planter plants for a purpose And there's a reality of our inheritance. There's pictures of inheritance and promise all throughout Isaiah 60. Uh, We can take a look at some of the verses. Verse 3 says, Nations will come to your light and kings to the brightness of your dawn. Verse 4 says, All assemble and come to you. Verse 10, Foreigners will rebuild your walls 
and their kings will serve you. And verse 17, I'll make peace your governor and righteousness your ruler. There's promise and picture of, an, of inheritance. And we can be as sure that as we are planted by Christ, there is something for us to walk into. Yeah? That it's not plant exist. No, there's a purpose behind the planting, and therefore there's something to walk into. I think it's a good reminder that we're the church planted by Jesus, intended to possess and take ground for the kingdom of Christ. I think that ties in well with what we studied in Acts, that the kingdom of Jesus is at hand and already here. And we, as followers of Jesus, are commissioned and purpose to advance his kingdom. Have you ever played Risk? The game Risk? You played one game, it took you like three weeks? No. Um, It's kind of like that picture of like all these regions and there's vying kingdoms. The red and green and blue and yellow and black, whatever. Or have you ever played Settlers of Catan? I've played one time with Mark Lauber. And I think I got up to go to the bathroom once. And by the time I came back, he had like every port, every resource, every, I don't even. If you've never played Settlers of Catan, I just. All right, what time is my mom picking me up? Um, <laughs> but it's that picture of an advancing kingdom. That there's, that there's purpose, that the, the members of the kingdom exist for a purpose, to, take, to, to possess an inheritance. And I think this means, pra- for us now, I think a natural outworking of that is practically outworking the love of Jesus in our city, the city of Chicago. We can get kind of lost in uh, a really big mountainous picture of that when I think practically outworking the love of Jesus in Chicago is kind of a very next step of coming into our inheritance. And that's going to look different for each one of us because we run in different circles of influence. We, we come from different places. We go to different places. But it's a singular purpose. Does that make sense? In fact, Jesus said in John 13, 35, you don't have to turn there, uh, but he said that we'll actually, the world will actually know that we are his disciples By our what? By our love. Not our t-shirts or bumper stickers or voting record or opinions or hashtags or Facebook statuses. Yeah. In fact, my favorite Facebook status ever was from my friend from college. And I, I, I haven't been on Facebook. I've been on like once or twice in four years. But his status was, congratulations, your Facebook status just changed my political opinion. <laughs> nice work. No, okay. As we practically step out into an inheritance, we do this by displaying the love of Jesus, and that is our calling card as an individual and as a church. So if we, if we have an inheritance, I think an al- always a fair question is why. Why an inheritance? Why does God operate with the idea of an inheritance, with something for his people to walk into. And I think there's two reasons. One is that it results in all glory going to Jesus. Remember in verse, in verse 21, the, planted for the display of my splendor. Right? All glory in our, in our inheritance goes to Jesus. In verse 16, it says, Then you will know that I am the Lord, your Savior, your Redeemer. The reason of this is you will know. 
my glory. Verse 9, to the honor of the Lord your God. All the glory in our inheritance goes to Jesus, and we can walk in freedom and humility because we know that our inheritance is not about us and our glory. Again, it's freeing, not constricting, for it to all be about Jesus. The work is Jesus's, the planting, the headship, the glory. We get a pretty good deal in that. Yeah? Now, the second, the second reason of why I think the Lord operates under or with with this idea of inheritance, is that we get to experience, you and me as a body, we get to experience God's great design of partnership with his spirit in his unstoppable, unshakable work of salvation. The reality is, if there's things that God is doing, and he's called us to walk with him in them, and it all depends on him, then we get the benefit and joy of that partnership. Yeah? It's like um, my, my daughter... Laurel May, she's 15 months, and she's just starting to walk kind of the crab walk, you know, and she's zooming around at negative two miles an hour and whatever, and one one of the things that she loves to do um, is when I am emptying the dishwasher at our house, and I'm putting the dishes away, uh, she loves to come alongside and help, right, and she's got big ideas about how to do it, and she knows now not to touch what's sharp and whatever, but she comes along, and I let her partner with me in emptying the dishwasher. This is a real heavenly illustration. <laughs> and a couple, couple things. I, I think I probably stand a good chance of getting the dishwasher empty without her help. Probably. I'm going to go ahead and say I do. <laughs> but there is actual presence of joy for both Laurel May and for me in the partnership. I let her partner with me in handing me that sparkling clean bowl, and then I put it away. I'm doing the work. The mission and the work is mine. Laurel May is there in partnership with me by my design to let her help me, and just her day is made. You know, the joy in that that she finds, and she's walking tall, foot and a half tall or whatever it is, for the, for the next half hour. It's great. But that's, that's a reality. That's, I think, a, I mean, what, a, what an awesome part of the heart of God, if we really stop and think about it for a second. Because, spoiler alert, he'd get his mission done without us. All-powerful king, all-victorious savior, planter, head of the church. I mean, this, this is quite a resume, and he would get it done. Instead, he says, Matt, you can partner with me. You know, wow, I have plans for you. You can partner with me. I'll let you walk into this with me. And again, man, he's going to do it. So it's not like, Matt, if you don't, I'm really, God's up in heaven needing another Alka-Seltzer because he's wondering if his purposes are going to be accomplished. It's a silly picture. It's a silly picture of God. And it's not one that that I think we can even fathom because he's going to get it done. And what a joy for our inheritance to be walk in, possess, advance the kingdom of Jesus. And I'm doing the work. You get to partner and all the glory is going to me. I'm excited to be a part of that. The reality of our inheritance is holding cities and nations, I believe, before the Lord, saying, look at your glory. Look at your majesty, Lord Jesus. Your unshakable work. I'm amazed. I'm amazed. And the, just that last thought on inheritance, I'm just so excited. You know, when we think of, we think of inheritance, like, you don't get an inheritance 
and usually until someone dies or is gone or something's ended, so now you get an inheritance. But we don't have to wait until heaven, or we don't have to wait to walk into our inheritance. There's an inheritance now. This is, the, this is like the best deal ever of inheritance. Yeah? The reality of the planter, the reality of our inheritance, the reality that I don't have a lot of time left, the reality of, our op- of opposition as well. Thought it was going to be all happiness, but it's not. No. The reality of our opposition. And I don't want to spend a lot of time on this because, honestly, opposition, I feel like in the, in, in the perspective of being next to the planter and our inheritance, I feel like opposition kind of seems kind of small, and I think we need to, I think that's the view we need to have of it. We're clear on the impending, ultimate, unstoppable, manifest victory of Jesus. But the enemy still opposes us, and he still has a foot of power in this world. He's not the most powerful in this world. We know that from Scripture. Greater is he that is in us than he is in the world. But he is powerful in the world. And we do ourselves wrong to take a flippant view of opposition to our inheritance. Yes, I will stand up and joke, and we will laugh and whatever, but there is a very real opposition to the work of the kingdom of Jesus. And we do ourselves well to be aware of it. In verse 2, there's... there's Again, pictures throughout Isaiah 60 of, of just the presence of opposition. Verse 2. See, darkness covers the earth and thick darkness all over the people. Verse 15. Although, you've been, although you have been forsaken and hated with no one traveling through. That's not a fun picture. Verse 20 speaks, speaks of days of sorrow. The reality of opposition is that it exists and it has an aim. The aim of opposition is to sour our inheritance. Because there will be no victory over Jesus. There will be no victory over Jesus. Let's be clear. But there can be victory over you and I walking into the fullness of our inheritance. So the aim of opposition is to sour that inheritance. And so what, what were the two key characteristics of, of our inheritance? All the glory goes to Jesus. And that we get the joy of partnership with a victorious God. Well, the aim of opposition, I believe, is to take our eyes off the glory of Jesus. Whether that's through despair or putting our eyes on our own glory, on our own making and things and prominence. And to disrupt the partnership that we have with the Spirit of God. That's the aim of opposition, is to sour the working of our inheritance. So, again, I don't think we need to dwell on opposition. It's a happy, happy day. No, we don't need to dwell on it. We just need to have the right perspective on it. That it exists, that there is victory over it, that its aim is to pick off you and me from our inheritance. And it comes through sin. It comes through circumstances. It can come through others. It can come through outright spiritual oppression. Opposition can take these forms. But Jesus, I I just, I love what Jesus says in John 16, because Jesus never sugarcoats what it's like to follow him or denies the presence of opposition, right? It's not like a seven-step program where everything's great and let me sell you this timeshare and it'll all be wonderful and then I'll be on a plane somewhere else by the time you figure out what the real deal is. Jesus wasn't, didn't operate that way. In John 16, what does Jesus say? He says, I have told you these things so that you may have my peace. In this world, you will have what? Troubles. But take heart, because I have overcome the world. 
You see, Jesus is saying, there is opposition, but I've overcome it. Not, hey man, it's going to be great, just it's wonderful, there's going to be no problems, and there's no need for anything to be overcome. No, in this world you will have troubles. He said, they hate, they hate me, they'll hate you. But take heart, because I've overcome the world. The gospel doesn't square up with a life of total ease and no pain and no risk and no loss. All due respect to anybody who preaches a gospel that does square up with those things. I don't know how you look at Jesus saying, you want to follow me? You take up your cross. Please, I'm not trying to be flippant. And I'm not trying to, to get up and say that we are necessarily suffering as much as some who are suffering today. But I am saying that it's something we need to be aware of, and it does have a presence. C.S. Lewis famously said, (laughs) it's one of my favorite quotes ever. He said, I didn't come to Jesus to make me happy. A bottle of port would do that quite easily. (laughs) I could see C.S. Lewis saying this. He says, if you want something to make you feel comfortable, I certainly don't recommend Christianity. (laughs) And then he went off and wrote another Narnia book or something. But, um, but, but here's the thing. Here's the thing. You know, tonight, there's, there's the Super Bowl. Oh, man, this is recorded. The NFL is going to sue us because I said the word. But um, there's the big game. And the presence of those two teams means one of them is going to have victory. And what we're clear on is there is the presence of an inheritance and there is the presence of opposition. And one of them is going to have a victory. We're clear on that. We're also clear on who has the victory and who has the glory and who does the work. You comfortable with that? So our suffering doesn't, and opposition doesn't diminish our inheritance. It's overcome. Just really quickly, the reality of God's timing. We're talking about a lot of big ideas. I'm the, he's the, we're the planting of the Lord, inheritance, is opposition. The reality of God's timing, I think, is key underneath all this. This In verse 22, uh, of Isaiah 60, it reads, The least of you will become a thousand, the smallest a mighty nation. I am the Lord. And then what does he say? In its time, I will do this swiftly. In its time, I will do it swiftly. All this talk of victory and overcoming, I mean, we need to have a sense of God's timing. We're free to partner with him in our inheritance, the advancement of his kingdom, and we're free to let him have the timing. This is just another great aspect of following Jesus wholeheartedly. He's the planter. He's the head. He, he gets the glory. He does the work. We get the joy of partnership. And he is even responsible for the timing. Sign me up. Sorry, did you get that? <laughs> Sign me up. God is even responsible for the timing. Jesus is sovereign enough to be the planter. He's holy enough to be the head. He's strong enough to be the sustainer. And he gets to be wise enough to have his timing. Easily the prerogative of God to have his timing. Okay. The reality of the planter, the reality of our inheritance, the reality of opposition, the reality of God's timing. I think these four realities culminate in a very essential application, and that is the reality of our great assurance. Can you start to feel that when we catch these things? 
you start to feel that, that confidence come up in your spirit? I do. When I, when, I, when I get that sense of that this is started, sustained, and led by Jesus, I, I get confident. Not in myself, but I get confident that I'm serving a victorious, saving, redeeming God who's going to do it. Yeah? Ready to run through a wall up here. Um, but I think, this, I think, I think there's four... There's, there's four uh, There's four aspects to the reality of our great assurance. There's probably more, but we're only going to talk about four right now. Because of being a planting of the Lord, we can, with confidence, firstly, release ourselves fully, individually, families, church family, release ourselves fully and sacrificially to partnership with God in the advancement of his kingdom. We don't have to hold anything to ourselves too precious to put before the Lord. That means all I own, all I oversee, the kids I have, the spouse I have, the life I build, the dreams I hold, the very essence of my existence can be joyfully laid down at the foot of a king because he's the planter, the head, the sustainer. He's good. He's got the timing. He is going, and I'm with him. Please, I understand the weight of that kind of statement. But it's, there's joyful release in that. To fully lay it down. You know, the, one of my favorite things about the church is, if you think about it, and I encourage you to, the church is the only orga- organization, for lack of a better word, in the history of existence that literally doesn't have to contend for its own survival. Let me say that again. The church is the only organization in all of history, that doesn't have to eventually, part of its purpose, be to contend for its own survival. Because the Lord sustains us. And we look to the Lord for all things, for his purposes. You know, like, like for example, the United Nations. I'm not harping on the United Nations. I'm just, whatever, I'm just using them as an example. They start for a purpose. And then eventually, years down the road, part of that purpose has to end up being the sustaining of the United Nations, right? Does that make sense? That happens to any organization, a big, small, governmental, local, whatever. But the church, we don't have to be that way. We can fully release all that we are, all that we have, all that, everything about us to the working of Jesus. And literally, he is our head and sustainer. We are a planting of the Lord. There is freedom in that. We don't have to lay awake at night going, oh, man, how are we going to sustain ourselves as the church? Shoot me in the eye. <laughs> Not really. I just, it just makes me, it's kind of how I feel. I think because of being a planting of the Lord, we can, with confidence, live and speak boldly to the principalities of this age. I want to be careful here. I am not encouraging us to be Long, tall, drinks of water, going around and just, you know, shooing off the world and spouting out the truth of Jesus. I'm not, that's not the picture I want to have. But I do want to say that they have to hear it and they have to see it. The manifest love of the kingdom of Jesus, this world has to experience it. Would we agree? And we can live and speak and love that boldly to this world. 
And we don't, isn't it great that we don't, that it's okay that we don't have to be comfortable with that because the power rests with Jesus. We don't, we don't, that doesn't have to be not nerve-wracking. We don't have to stand up in front of stadiums of people who agree with us every word we say and then say what we say because there's no courage and confidence in that. That's easy. Yeah? We can look the world in the eye and say we're standing on the love and truth of Jesus Christ. Come hell or high water. There's a... They will, they will gnash and they will fight and there will be opposition and people will come into the kingdom of Jesus. Guarantee all those. You guys ever read the book? Well, it's a heavy book, but it's called The Dust of Death by Oz Guinness. Highly recommend it. If you like any kind of like philosophical anything, like talking about ideas and that kind of stuff, this guy is unbelievable. And the premise of this book is that all throughout history, man has been constructing his own forms of thought and his own, uh, his own ways of being and thinking. And what's happened is the, the, the dominant ones rise up and then there's like countercultural movements that come against each of the dominants and that ebbs and flows. And he just says, he just lays it all out that the dust of death is settling on our ways of being as humans without God. The dust of death is settling on them. They will gnash, they will fight, and they will come to Jesus. We have the confidence because of being a planting of the Lord to live and speak boldly to the principalities of this age. We have the confidence to be relentless in our adoration and celebration of Jesus. I love, I love Dave dragging us, kicking and screaming into dancing and clapping and singing out in worship this morning. Luckily, I have a daughter who wants to do it with me, so it makes it a little easier for me. No, I'm kidding. But like, have you, got, have you guys seen West Side Story? I mean, who hasn't seen West Side Story? Why do I even ask, right? Uh, <laughs> but there's this part in West Side Story where uh, one, of the, one of the gang members in, in New York has been, has been killed, and he was a beloved character, and his, and his gang is ready to go out and take revenge on the other gang, and one, the new leader of this gang looks at the gang and says, he says what? Anybody know? Play it, play it cool. And they're ready to just explode and pop, and he says, play it cool. We don't have to play it cool, because we serve a majestic king. You feel it in the worship. You feel it. It's that creeping embarrassment. It's that creeping... That we've talked about it before, that cultural itch that's like, ah, actually the way I remain in control is I don't show anything and I'm apathetic. Stop it. Don't play it cool. What our inheritance doesn't have to wait till heaven. Praising Jesus with everything doesn't have to wait till heaven. Praise is embarrassment, leaving the body. Write it down. <laughs> and like West Side Story, if it comes out in pirouettes and rondezoms, and all the better. <laughs> oh, man. Because of, lastly, because of being a planting of the Lord, we can with confidence risk greatly on the faithfulness of our God. We can risk greatly. Joshua 3, 4, don't turn there, but the Lord is, is speaking to the Israelites. They've They've come through all that they've come through in the wilderness. And, and he said, the Lord speaks to them and says, When you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God, you are to move out from your positions and follow it. Then you'll know which way to go because you've never been this way before. 
we can risk greatly on the faithfulness of our God. Why? Because Jesus is planter, he's sustainer, he's head, he gets the glory, we partner with him, the work is his. We can risk greatly. You've been very patient with me and I appreciate that. I hope, I, I hope not only today, this, this word, but I, but I hope this series over these last five weeks of what the Lord has said to us, I hope it's encouraged hearts that the Lord is speaking to us and he is, he is purposing us as a body. And I know, I know, we're, I, I know we're coming close to time. I, want, I think it'd be great for us to celebrate communion uh, as a body today in celebration of the work of Jesus on the cross for the fullness of our salvation. And that what that work attains for us in the here and now, yes, it attains for us eternity with him. But it attains for us the fullness of sonship now. The amazingness of God speaking to us and us being able to turn our ears to him and say, Lord, what are you saying to me? What are you saying to church in the city? We want to walk in your purposes. Can, can we take communion, communion together in that spirit today? And just celebrate the faithfulness of Jesus. So just Dave's going to play a little bit. Um, I'm, I'm a fan of take it when you get it. So um, you guys can line up. There's two tables up here uh, to my left and right. To your left and right too. And just come up. Come up and receive. Go back to your seat. And when you feel ready to, to take communion, you guys can just go ahead and, and receive the bread and the cup. <laughs>